This is KMTT and the weekly Pashat HaShavua Shirat. This year, Tavshin Ayin, it will be given by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week, Pashat Yitro, I would like to discuss a small Pashia found at the very end of Pashat Yitro. The segment of the Torah, often referred to as the Pasha of Mizbach Adama, the Pasha of the Earthen Altar. Let us pick it up uh, at the end of Pasha Shemot in Perak Kaf Pasikud Chet. The Torah says as follows: and Hashem said to Moshe, Yisrael, so you should speak to Bnei Yisrael. You have seen that I have spoken to you from the heavens. Lo tasun iti do not make with me, or along with me, gods of silver, gods of gold. Lo Do not make for yourselves. So the parasha here opens up with first, what we might call, one, an introductory statement by God uh, that Moshe should tell B'nai Israel that they have seen that atem ritem ki mina You have seen that I have spoken to you from the heavens. Then, the Torah proceeds, uh, in what we might call two, uh, to a prohibition. Lo tasun iti uh, do not make gods of silver and gods of gold. And then finally, in Perkaf Pasukaf, we come to the positive side of things, not so much the prohibition, but the mandate. And in Shemot Perkaf Pasukaf, the Torah says as follows, You should make for me an earthen altar, and bring upon it your various karbanot, Bechol hamakom in every place asher askir or in any place asher askir et shmi that I will cause my name to be remembered or my name will be remembered. Avo elecha I will come to you and I will bless you. And then the Torah continues on with more matters con- uh, connected to the notion of mizbeach mizbachot to altars. And the Torah says in pasuk kaf alav in mizbach avanim taaseli. And if you will make a altar of stones. Lo eten gazit. Do not make them hewn. Uh, do not make them cut stones. Kicha nafta, etc. You use the sword upon it. And finally, the Torah finishes with one last little halacha uh, regarding mizbachot, regarding altars in Pasik Kafbet, the notion of requiring uh, a ramp as opposed to stairs for a mizbeach, etc. Now, if we think about it, certainly part three of our small parsha, which we even named uh, the parsha of mizbach adama, is about hilchot mizbeach. It's about the laws of altars. Um, But if we think about it a little bit more deeply, on some level we would expect kind of a connection between the different parts of the parsha, and that certainly is the case. If we think about after the introduction, beginning with part two, the notion of the prohibition of gods of silver and gods of gold, there's a kind of negation of a a form of worship. One should not worship idols or or through these kinds of, of molten images. And following after that, in part three, where we begin with Mizbach Adama, it's kind of Hilchot Mizbeach, the laws of Mizbeach. Not the prohibition, but the mandate. Not the negation of a particular form of worship. Not the uh, prescribing uh, of a particular form of worship, but the proscribing uh, of a particular form of worship. The mandating of worship. And overall, I believe, what we have here following the introduction of you have seen that I spoke to you from the heavens. What we have here is a kind of code of worship. And the code of worship found here at the end of Parshat Yitro contains two halves or two sides. First, the prohibited form of worship, the Elohei Chesef, Elohei Zahav, the 
gods of silver and gods of gold. And then following after this, the mandated, the positive form of worship, the Hilchot Mizbeach, beginning with Mizbach Adama. And the question that I would primarily like to confront in the Shir, when confronting this kind of code of worship found here at the end of Parashat Yitro is, is as follows. There, there are a lot of different things going on here. There's the prohibition of Elohei Chesef, Elohei Zahav, the gods of silver and gold. There's the mandating of the Mizbeach and a particular form of Mizbeach and other laws associated with it. And, and the question is, is can we kind of pull out a kind of common denominator, a perhaps an essence here. What the parsha is really all about, a kind of coherent way of reading the code of worship here to tell us what uh, the goal and aim of this little parsha is, what is the meaning and the nature of this code of worship, and that's the primary question. Now, secondly, something I would also like to address, which I think is, in a certain sense, perhaps even more interesting uh, than the first question, is the placement of the parsha, And what I mean by this is, let us just go back in our minds and review a little bit of what has happened here in Parshat Yidro, and more particularly in Perakaf. Perakaf, Pasuk Aleph, as we of course all remember, begins as follows. God spoke all of these words or matters. And this is the Aserah Debrot. And Parakaf of Shemot is, of course, the Aserah Debrot, the Ten Commandments, the great revelation of the laws of God at Har Sinai. Um, and following after that, beginning in Parakaf Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, we have the following, The Code of Law, the Mishpatim, that continues on through Parakaf Aleph and Parakaf Bet, etc. And right here, before the Mishpatim, prior to all of the laws and the civil laws and the entire Parshat Mishpatim, and post, immediately following, right after the Aseret HaDibrot, the first set of laws that God chooses to reveal and teach to B'nai Yisrael is the code of worship, the Parshat Mizbach Adama. And the question is, what is the point of this juxtaposition? What is so important about the Parshat Mizbach Adama, the code of worship, that it is here, following right after the Aseret HaDibrot? Can we make anything out of its placement here? Is there something deeper going on here than... than just uh, a, a, the fact that it is found here at the end of Parshat Yitro. So I'd like to confront these kind of two questions, the meaning and nature of the code of worship, and secondly, its placement immediately following Aseret HaDibrot. Now, I'd like to do in the shir, as I'd like to share two approaches, maybe a couple of other little points along the way. Um, one, which I would attribute to Rashbam, a particular interpretation of the Parsha of Mizbach Adama, the code of worship, and a second that I would attribute to Ibn Ezra and Ramban, a second interpretation of the Parsha Mizbach Adama and the Code of Worship. Uh, let us begin with some comments of Rashban, where he explains some of the particular details of the Chot Mizbeach, or of the Parsha, that we have here. Um, commenting on the words Elohei Chesef, Elohei Zahav, uh, in the Parsha, Rashbam, in Parakaf Pasak Yutat, says as follows. Elai Chesef, Elai Zahav, Afilu Zichron Shamayim Lo Tasu. Even as a reminder, uh, as a kind of memory device to remind you of God, Lo Tasu, don't make it. Why? Sheish Toim Bisvoim, Sheish Bahamamash. There are those who err and think incorrectly that there's something real to them. Ba'afapisha, Tziva, Kadesh Parkala, Sot Kruvim, Allah Aron. And even though, wait a second, didn't God command to make Kruvim? 
on the Aron, the cherubs are a kind of image, uh, a kind of golden, molten something or another. And Rashbam answers, not exactly clear what his answer is, but says as follows, the Shivato Naso Dugmat Kruve Kisei Shabala. These Kruvim or cherubs were made as a throne for God, as a seat. Uh, on the model of the cherubs of the metaphysical throne of God up above, and not to bow down to them. So, Rashbam tries to claim that the Kruvim are not images in any sense whatsoever. Um, they're not idols in any sense whatsoever. There's something else. But we don't need to go into that. What is clear from Ramban's comment is that he's concerned with the issue of images with idol worship, with bowing down. And the language of his comment, of lo lehishtachavot lahem, at the end, of course should raise a certain echo for us. If we go back for the moment to Shemot Per Kaf, Pasuk uh, Gimel, um, there in the middle of the second of the Aser Hadibrot, the Torah says as follows in Kaf Gimel, lo tasel lecha fesel, do not make a statue, bechol tmuna, or any Picture or any image. in the heavens above, the earth below, No images of any things that inhabit neither the heavens, the earth, or the seas. And then in Pasagdalem, do not bow down and do not worship. And here Rashbam, in using the language of Lehishtachavot in his comment, tells us or sends us back to the Asir Debrot and reminds us that the issue here is idol worship, images. Uh, bowing down. And that is, of course, the reason for the prohibition of the Elohei Chesef and Elohei Zahab. As we go on in Rashbam's comment, it seems that he consistently interprets the entire code of worship as connected up to the prohibition of idol worship, to the prohibition of images. Commenting on the Mizbach Adama, the requirement of an earthen altar, um, Rashbam says as follows, Omer HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, God says, "Vafilu im taseli mizbeach." And when you make an altar, or if you make an altar, lo taseu elami adama. Do not make it for, el, only from earth. Shein regilim lasot tziurim vitzlamim ki im melacha Because it is not normal to make an earthen mound. An earthen altar is just a thrown-up mound of dirt. To make it tziurim with pictures vitzlamim or forms upon it. It is not engraved. It cannot be carved out. It just doesn't work. It is made as smooth, with a smooth finish, a smooth work. Um, so Rashbam says the reason for the requirement of the Mizbech Adama, the Mizbech Adama, it's also part of the same negation or prohibition of images in worship. Um, it's a kind of a, a fence around the, that the Torah puts around itself. That when you make an altar, if there is the possibility of a surface that can be engraved upon, um, then one might make images or engravings or markings there which would be a kind of quasi-violation of the prohibition against images. And therefore make it out of smooth earth because it will be smooth and it won't, won't come close to the prohibition of Images. And Rashbam goes on in the same vein. And even if you want to make uh, an altar out of stones, make it out of whole stones, a kind of pile of stones piled up. Um, it should not be cut with iron. Uh, when it is made in a hewn fashion, cut with iron, cut stones, with an iron vessel or an iron instrument, the carvers, the cutters of the stone would often make 
gargoyle, gargoyles or images or forms or engravings or the like. And therefore, Rashbam reads consistently. The entire parsha is about the negation of images. Do not make statues of gold and silver. Um, if you're going to worship God, worship Him with an earthen altar, which will take you further away from the notion of images. And even if you make it out of stone, do not use cut stone, because then, again, lest you may come to engraving and images. And the whole idea here is about the negation of any kind of kirva, of coming close uh, to statues, images, etc. Now, to put this together... What Roshbam is fundamentally saying about the parsha is that it's all about the negation of idol worship and images. But we have to factor in the introduction here. What does God say in Shmot per Kaf, Shmot per Kaf Pasuk Yutet at the beginning of our parsha? You have seen that I have spoken to you from the heavens. God is transcendent. God is abstract. And it's precisely because God is transcendent and abstract that the proper form of worship for a transcendent abstract God who is immaterial, that proper form of worship is a form of worship that negates even the hint of images. And therefore, Elohei Chesef and Elohei Zahav are of course out. And of course, with and, and likewise, um, even the Mizbeach that is mandated must be one that furthers that negation of any kind of images or any kind of corporeality or any kind of material quality because that is the proper form of worship um, for God. So what we see here is that on some level, Rashbam reads the entire parsha as a continuation of the second of the Aserta. They wrote the prohibition against idol worship and even more so um, as a kind of expansion of that, that the worship of God has to be appropriate for a uh, transcendent God um, for one who is not material as part of the idea of negating all kinds of corporeality, physical, physicality regarding God. Now, although Rashbam um, doesn't point it out, I think we can make the argument that on some level, um, Rashbam's reading of Parshat Mizbach Adam, Mizbeach Adama, the Mizbach Adama, as a kind of continuation of the second of Aserta Debrot, fits very nicely into the overarching theology of this part of the Torah, um, of Shmot Perak Yitet and Perak Kaf uh, in general, and it's kind of building upon Rashbam. I'd like to try to map out some of that uh, theology, and I'd like to do that by following through an interesting key word, one that we already have noted here, and let us uh, go back to Perak Kaf Pasuket for the moment. Vayom Hashem Moshe, and God said to Moshe, Kotomar el bnei Yisrael atem reitem. You have, you have seen that uh, I have spoken to you from the heavens. And it's interesting to think about, as the word re'iyah, seeing, crops up often, or a few times, as both a term and a, and a concept in Perakutet and Kaf, just to try to follow through the whole idea of vision or seeing at Har Sinai, and to ask ourselves exactly what it is uh, that uh, B'nai Israel see at Har Sinai, or to what extent uh, their apprehension of God is visual at Har Sinai. And I want to kind of work backwards here. Let us go back to Parakaf Pasuk Yudalid. And Parakaf Pasuk Yudalid, the immediate aftermath of uh, Har Sinai, tells us as follows. V'kola am ro'im et ha-kolot ve'et ha-lapidim ve'et kol ha-shofar ve'et ha-har and all the people saw 
the kolot, they swallowed the sounds, the lapidim, the thunder, bet kol shofar, betahar ashen. So what did the people see? Well, they mostly saw sound, and even if they saw smoke and cloud, they didn't really see that much, right? In other words, the, what they saw of God on some level is minimal, or maybe even nil. They primarily saw visual effects. Now, uh, going back, um, I think the Torah in general develops the idea of seeing, or maybe even we might think of it as the negation of seeing, throughout Perak Yutet and Perak Kaf. And uh, let us go further back uh, to a mention of eyes, uh, interesting mention of eyes uh, found in the, in the Perak. If we take a look, uh, found in the segment, the segment of the Torah, going all the way back um, to um, uh, Pasuk, um, Uh, Yud Aleph in Perakutet. Perakutet, Pasuk Yud Aleph says as follows. Vayu nechonim layom hashlishi, and you should be prepared for the third day. Ki bayom hashlishi, yirei Hashem le'enei kol ha'am al-Har Sinai. God will descend in front of the eyes of all the people in Har Sinai. So again, they're supposed to see God, right? Or later on in uh, Perakutet, um, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, when God warns Moshe to go down from the mountain and warn the people to stay away. The people want to see. So there's all this talk of seeing, the eyes and the seeing. But again, what do they really see? Not much. All they really see is the cloud um, and the sounds, etc. So if it's not really about seeing or apprehending God in a direct way, what is it really all about? And I think the answer is found in Perakitet, Pasuktet, um, and through the usage of a different key word in Parakutet. In Parakutet, Pasuk Tet, we're told as follows. I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud. The people will hear when I speak to you. The real purpose of the revelation is not so much the seeing. It is not the sense of vision, but it is the sense of hearing. And it is the speech. And it is not the sight, but it is the word of God that is key fundamentally at Har Sinai. And from Parakutet, Pasuk Vav, which reads, Through Pasuk Tet, uh, the pasuk I just read a moment ago, which said, um, The word dibor, the stem, dalad, bet, resh, appears there three times. In fact, in those three pasukim, it appears seven times. Because dibor is the fundamental point of the experience at Har Sinai. And of course, by no accident, it's known as Aseret Hadzvarim. It is the words that Am Yisrael hears at Har Sinai. That is their mode of knowing. So it's not a, it is not so much the sense of seeing um, and sight and direct apprehension of God in that way, but it is rather the hearing and the deep word and the words. It is not image that is the connection to God, but it is the word that is the connection to God. And that is part of the fundamental theology uh, of Parakutet and Parakuf. But there's even more to it than this, because Ritem crops up one time, or seeing crops up one time earlier in the Parak, in Parakutet, Pasuk Dalit. And in Parakutet, Pasuk Dalit, as an introduction to the Revelation of Harsinai, God says to Moshe as follows, Atem ri'item asherasiti limitsrayim. You saw what I did to Mitzrayim. 
Um, and this, of course, parallels the Atem Ritem in our parsha, the parsha Atem is Beach, in Parakaf Pasuk Yutet. There are two Riyot, there are two visions that are not really visions uh, of God that B'nai Israel have or see or that are talked about in this parsha. The first is seeing what God did to Egypt, seeing his hand in history, seeing God's action. God, the incorporeal, transcendent God, can be known through his action. There's a kind, in this seeing, there's a negation of the physical seeing and a, a affirmation of knowing God through his actions. And likewise, throughout the entire Revelation R. Sinai, there's a negation of the physical seeing of God and the knowing of God, not just A, through his actions in history, but B, through his revealed world, word. And this is the theology of Perikitet Perikop, the transcendent deity who is known through his actions in history and, of course, um, through his word delivered at Har Sinai. And if you really think about it, this is also the fundamental message of the Aseret HaDibrot. And how did the Aseret HaDibrot begin? In Perakaf, Pasuk Aleph, um, I am God. The identity of God is He who is known in history. God cannot uh, be worshipped through images, bow down through images, other gods, etc. Can't happen because God is immaterial, incorporeal, transcendent. And of course, finally in uh, Pasukei, or further on in Pasukei, in Pasuk Vav, it's about God's name. So how is God known? God is known in history through his word. You can't worship him through images and he's known through his name. These are all appropriate discussions or forms of worship for a, a transcendent uh, God and that any kind of physical riyah is negated. And I think what we might say is that Rashbam is reading Prashat Hamazbeach as an extreme form of the prohibiting of any kind of corporeal or physical um, Imagining of God as an extension of the theology of Perikitet Perikaf, that God is known in history, God is known through his word, God is known through his name, but God cannot be apprehended in any kind of physical or quasi-physical sense. And this is the interpretation of Rashbam. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there is another possible interpretation of Prashat Nizbeach that I would like to move over to. One, which I think is not so much rooted or connected to the theological development of Shmot Bregutet Perakaf, but maybe more connected to the dramatic uh, development of Shmot Bregutet Perakaf, one that is perhaps not so much about uh, the apprehension of God uh, from a theological perspective, but something more about the religious apprehension of God, or the religious connection to God, kind of more existential perspective. And to get into this, I would like to take a look at a comment of Ibn Ezra, one which takes us in a direction that we have not gone until now. Commenting on um, the parshat uh, Mizbach Adama, um, Ibn Ezra says as follows, Lo tasunatam Do not make, the reason being is because I dwell in the heavens. That's the introductory verse. I have spoken to you not through an intermediary. And like what is this written? Later on in Sefer Dorim. And then Rashbam, uh, Ibn Ezra goes on to point out that the whole idea here is the negation of intermediaries in relating to God or in worshipping God. You might think, uh, and this is to some extent according to Ibn Ezra what goes on in Avodah Zarah, that you might make a form 
to accept the koach aoyanim, to accept the upper force or the upper strength. In idol worship, the physical form of the god is meant to draw down or instantiate or to bring into the world the essence in some way, to bring down the upper koach. And one might do that vis-a-vis God, make a kind of intermediary to bridge heaven and earth, to bring down that koach or that essence into the world. Um, and you might think you're doing this for my honor and glory, Ibn Ezra says. You might think you're making an Elohe, Chesef, or Zahab, an intermediary for the glory of God. Um, as if there would be some sort of bridge or intermediary between us that would close the gap. And here, a key line in Ibn Ezra, Kamoha Egel, Sha'asu Yisrael, like the Egel HaZahab, the golden calf that Israel later on made. Ki Aron Lechvot Hashem Asa. Um, because Aaron made this for the glory of God, and because God knew that Am Yisrael would make an eagle in the future, he warned them now that they should not make an Elohei Zahav. Now, Ibn Ezra is undoubtedly correct that the eagle HaZahav is in some sense a technical form of Elohei Zahav, uh, a god of gold. And in point of fact, Moshe Rabbeinu, Later on in the uh, Torah, um, in Perak Lamed Bet, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, upon his return to God, uh, says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, upon arriving back to plead with God, Vayashav Moshe Hashem, Vayomar Ana Chata Amazeh Chata Agdola, the people have sinned the very great sin, Vayasu Lehem Elohei Zahav. The Egel Hazav is Elohei Zahav. And here, on some level, God prohibits intermediaries slash the golden calf here at this point immediately after the Aserat HaDivrot. And the question is, why does God prohibit the Egel HaZahav intermediaries exactly at this point in time? Why is it necessary right now after the Aserat HaDivrot? What does this tell us about the nature of the Parsha, the code of worship? And how does this connect up um, with the fact that we're following up right now after the Aserat HaDivrot? I think the answer can be found by going back uh, and reading the dramatic aftermath uh, of the Aserat Debrot. Now we have been examining the halachic aftermath of the Aserat Debrot, the Parsha of Mizbach Adama. There's actually a previous Parsha um, that describes what happened uh, right after the Aserat Debrot. Going back to Parakaf Pasuk Yudalid, the previous Parsha of the Torah, it says as follows. The Cholam ro'im et ha-kolot vet ha-lapidin vet shofar vet ashen and the people saw the the sounds and the thunder and the shofar, and the people saw again vayaram vayanu, and they were deterred They stood far away, and you know it's kind of interesting because you might have thought that this wouldn't be what would happen. I already mentioned the pasuk earlier, but right before the Aserat Debrot, God had to warn Moshe to go down from the mountain in Perak Yotet Pasuk of Aleph. There's a danger that they're going to burst forth and, and rush forward to God. But instead of rushing forward to God, which is a possible reaction when God comes, God is there, there's a natural religious inclination to burst forth, to plunge into God. Now, there's also the possibility that out of fear terror, one might run away from God. And while there's a, on some level an expectation that people will run towards God and the possibility um, that they might run away, in this moment of difficulty, in this tension of standing in front of God, the people in the end, they're afraid and they run away. And when they're afraid and they run away, what do they do? They turn to Moshe and Perkaf Pasik Tedvav, Vayomer Moshe Daber Ata Imanu Vinishma'a. 
ואל ידבר עמנו אלוקים פנמות. They said to Moshe, go, you speak with us and we'll hear and God shall speak to us. And Moshe explains to them, well, it's just a matter of instilling a bit of Yerat Shemayim in you and a little bit of awe and reverence. But of course, in the end of the day, the way the parsha right before the prohibition of Elohei Zahav ends is in Parakaf Pasuk Yedzayin, Vayamod Ha'am Merachok. These people stood far away. And Moshe went into the darkness where God was present. Moshe served as an intermediary for the people at Har Sinai. On some plane, the story of Parak Yutet and Parak Kaf um, in Sefer Shmot should be understood as a story of religious relation to God. Um, what happens when God is absolutely present? Can people stand in an unmediated relation to God? Will they plunge forth into God and be consumed, so to speak, or will they run away? And what happens to Am Yisrael Har Sinai is they cannot stand in that moment. They do not plunge forth, but instead they run away. And when they run away, of course there's an eventual desire to return to God, to come close to God. Uh, the dialectic reverses itself. And when they desire to come close again, the only way they can comprehend doing it is through intermediaries. And at Har Sinai, they uh, turn to Moshe and they ask Moshe to be the intermediary because Moshe can walk into the darkness where God is. But in the longer term, on the day after, when we come to the next parsha, Avodat Hashem, the worship of God, connection to God, the religious, psychological, existential need to be close to God is still there. And the people desire to come close to God. And the question is, how are they going to do it? And from their perspective, the obvious way to do it is through intermediaries, is through intermediaries. And what God says is, Don't do it through intermediaries. The prohibited, or don't do it through these type of intermediaries. The Egel Hazahab, that type of intermediary is prohibited. There's a prohibited form of intermediary. If that's the only way you can relate to God, um, this is not the way to do it. What's the rest of the parsha, the Mizbach Adama, the Mizbach Avanim, and the Hilchot Mizbeach that are outlined here? And I think following Chazal, Ramban, and Rashi, and others correlate these altars with the Mishkan and with the Megdash. Now, whether that's correct or whether it's not correct, it's the flip side. It's the mandated form of worship, the mandated form of intermediary on some plane. Um, you, in the end of the day, Am Yisrael needs a way to connect to God. And that's the message of Perakitet Perakaf on some level. Uh, well, there's the... And they're going to wind up doing that through some sort of intermediary system. Um, well, there's the prohibited form of intermediaries, which is the Elohei Chesav, Elohei Zahav, and that's the first half of our parsha of the Code of Worship. And then there's the mandated form, uh, the uh, encouraged form of worship of intermediaries, the, the, the Avodah, the Mizbeach, the Karbanot, the Mishkan, the Mikdash, on some level, as understood um, by Rashi, Ramban, and Chazal. And on some level, that is what uh, the Code of Worship is about. It's about the religious existential need or method of connecting for Am Yisrael in the aftermath of Har Sinai. Just to end here, if this latter reading uh, is correct, uh, and I think in some level both interpretations are correct, on the one hand, the idea uh, of Rashbam, the prohibition of images, the connection to the theology of the transcendent God, on the other hand, um, the negation of one kind of intimidity and the mandating of another kind of intimidity form of worship as a kind of describing, description, mandating of a kind of way to connect to God, 
I think if this latter approach is correct, it sets up a very interesting tension, um, which is mapped out or worked out throughout the rest of the Sefer. Because on the one hand, there's the Egel HaZahav, Elokei Kesef Elohei Kesef Elohei Zahav, the incorrect way to attempt to relate to God in the aftermath of Sinai. And on the other hand, there's the Mizbeach, the Mishkan, the Migdash, the correct and mandated way to relate to God, Avodah, in this sense, in the aftermath of Har Sinai. And the tension that exists here in the two halves of the Code of Worship is, of course, the tension that exists throughout the rest of the Sefer. Which one will happen first? Which one will B'nai Israel choose? Will Am Israel manage to stay with the mandated form of intermediaries, the Mizbeach, the Mishkan, and the Mikdash, or will they collapse into an incorrect mode of worship, into an incorrect way of attempting to reconnect to God, into Egal Zahav? And I think on some level this tension is developed and worked out in many different ways throughout the remaining of the Sefer. Um, now, although time is late, uh, although it's late, time is up, effectively, I just want to make one last very interesting point, almost a kind of throwaway comment, which I'll point out that I think there's something else deeper uh, and additional going on in the parsha of uh, the code of worship here at the end of Parsha Yitro. I think there's a very interesting echo, which has something very interesting to teach us uh, about Avodat Hashem, about Mishkan and Mikdash in general, which can be found here uh, to, or heard here to the discerning ear in the parsha. I'd like to take a look just very briefly, just to make the point, uh, here in Shemot Parakaf, um, Pasokaf, we have some interesting language. Mizbach Adama Ta'aseli. So there's a Mizbeach. Vizavachta Lavatolotechavetzlamech, etc. Bichol Hamakom. So a second interesting literary marker here is not just the word Mizbeach, but the term Hamakom. Asher Askirat Shmi. Any place, an unnamed place, in any place that I'll have my name be mentioned, I will come to you and I will bless you. Without pushing the point too much, I would like to take us back briefly to Breshit Perakafet Pasuktet, the story of Akedat Yitzchak. And in Breshit Perakafet Pasuktet, we're told as follows, Vayavo el hamakom, and Abraham came to the place, hamakom, any place, the place, after a journey, Asha'amalo Elohim, that God had told him, Vayibin sham Avram et hamizbeach, and there was a mizbeach, so hamakom, hamizbeach, the place that God calls out, the place that God is known, and eventually God's name is known there, and of course there's a bracha in the story of the Akedah. The four markers of the transient temporary Mizbeach Adama found at the end of Parshat Yitron and Sefer Shemot, the ideal form of worship outlined, hark back or re-echo that which happened at the Akedah. Uh, the Makom, the Mizbeach, the mention of God's name, the Bracha, without going to the details. And on some level, the idea is that every mandated form of worship, every Mizbeach, uh, has to have some element of that self-sacrifice of Rabbi Yitzchak, of that searching of Rabbi Yitzchak, because of course, as we all remember, it's about much more um, than fancy altars and halls of gold and silver. And I think that's another echo that's found here in the parsha. We will end with this. Okay.